Especially a monastery, there's a certain culture that you're in, and that culture has a particular style of expressing life, of expressing ourselves within that, of interacting, interrelating. It's a very secluded environment, quite protected from the world and very conducive to cultivating awareness and investigation of the mind, the heart, how we are, how we are with ourselves, how we are with others. The conditions here are very conducive to that. The world still comes through the gate every day, not because people come and go, not because we come and go, but because the mind comes and goes. The mind keeps coming and going. Isn't it interesting that the worldly culture is to teach distraction? That's how we're trained now. Babies, little four, six-year-old kids are playing with computers and getting distracted so mommy and daddy can live their life and do what they like to do. Maybe in other situations, children could sit and could be quiet for half an hour or 45 minutes at that age. I remember in Burma, many years ago, I went to a little nunnery outside of Rangoon, and there were all these very young little nuns in the pink and orange outfits with shaved heads and absolutely beautiful, beautiful children. Moonbeam eyes looking out at you, wondering, what are we, what am I, these foreigners coming to visit. They were so well-behaved, so trained. There were many ages of these children being trained as nuns. And their comportment... They were very shy, number one, but they were also restrained, and you could tell that the restraint was due to their training. Some of the younger ones were a little out of control, but the older ones would just give them a look, and they would fall back into line. So this training that is so hard to do, the sooner we do it, in a way that is conducive to cultivating wisdom, and growing in awareness, 
and overcoming the defilements of the mind. Even little kids can sit still. They can be still. But if you hand them a tablet and you teach them games and then you let them loose in the world of the internet, it spells a lot of delusion, a lot of lack of restraint. The mind is just following along its pathways, untrained, in a wilderness of the mind, unable to receive instruction or to receive this kind of teaching, this kind of learning when they get older because the mind develops such powerful habits. And then how difficult it is, not just for kids, but for grown-up people, adults, to sit still, not just to look still, we can sit still, but the mind can be running around, circling, orbiting, gazing around at what there might be that it can pick up and chew on, however defiled and deluded that might be. So after spending a few months in a container that directs the mind to keep seeing how is the weather within, how is the internal condition, and to override that, to reset, to reformat our hard disk, and to begin again, to start over in a healthy way, in a wise way, with strength, with dhamma, with that ability to pick up what is going in the mind without owning it, to see the delusion, to abandon it, to disown it, to disallow it, to train it, to restrain it, to contain it, to refrain from it, not to touch it, not to massage it, not to grow it, not to believe in it, not to be deceived by it, not to be betrayed by it again and again and again. How much turning, how much knee-jerk activity are we going to be caught up in? For how long are we going to keep going in that direction until we wake up and see that the truth is just here in this breath, right under our noses? It's not out there somewhere. It's not in, in any gadget it's not far away from us. It's not in someone else. It's here. It's truly here. I noticed while we were, we were chanting, everyone else was fidgeting, but Mom was sitting up straight and taking it in, just taking in the beautiful sound and letting it calm her mind, relax her mind, and allow it to be present. And that's a wonderful thing, because really that's what we were chanting. We were chanting triumph to that present moment awareness. Triumph. Yes. We're saying yes to it. May this live, may this percolate within me. May this grow, may it flourish, may it reach every interior region of my being of my body and mind, so that I can relax, I can be calm 
and still in, inside myself, within myself, and not respond to the old habits anymore. And let them quiet down. Let them give up. Let them abandon me. There is no one to abandon. And there is nothing to be abandoned. There is only to take up our rightful seat in the present moment and study what is going on. That already is poise and power in the mind to understand how valuable, how strong, how healthy we can be just by doing that. Sitting up on the throne. It's not a throne for a king or a queen. It's actually an empty seat. It's a way of sitting and being completely empty so that things can arise and pass away. No matter how filthy they are, they arise and we just let them pass. And the uglier and meaner they are, the quicker we let them go. That's our safety. It's like when you're a young thing and you, you put on skates for the first time. I remember the first time I ever put on ice skates. I just fell over. I lost my balance. But nobody had time to show me. So I just staggered out on the ice and kept falling over. Then somebody showed me that there are these little jaws at the end of the skate. It's a kind of cleat. And so if you put up your toe, then it scratches the ice, it catches it, and it'll hold you for a second till you regain your balance. So after I saw that, I watched a few people, and just by watching, little by little, over a year or whatever it took me, I started to skate, and it was so wonderful to just glide on the ice. At least have some joy in the activity, because I learned how to do it properly. So that's how it is with this training. Until we learn how to keep our balance, we keep crashing into the ice. And that's because we're new at it. We're not like those little Burmese nuns who started when they were five, six years old. And that's a wonderful age to begin. So when we start, when we're in our 20s or 30s or 40s, let alone 50s and older, it's much harder because we're more set in our ways. We think we know what we're doing. We're, we've got a lot of developed self, the sense of this is who I am, and we've been successful in the world, and we can impress people with our skills and our brains, and we even have degrees to prove it. A degree in this and a degree in that. And who cares? We're not here to get anything. We're here to clean up our act. We're here to understand what the mind is and to tend to it the way we would tend to a garden. It comes as a result of cultivation in the culture. It's a culturing. It's like when you make yogurt. You need a culture for it to take and it needs to stand in a certain way, at a certain temperature, be covered, and then you get this wonderful yogurt. 
It goes through a process of culturing and maturing. So if we take a little bit of this culture of monastic life, monastic, it's not many, it's mon, it's one. It's to be alone, to be solitary in, with a, a group of others, like-minded people, who also want to implant this culture into the heart and develop it, develop it, allow it to mature and open up. Open to what? There's so much suffering. I can't take it anymore. <laughs> I just want to cave in. I'm going to run away. So we have to see how the mind tries to escape in ways and towards things and go through pathways that do not provide that kind of culture. In fact, they detract from it. But when we stay within that, and then we pick up enough of it so that wherever we go, we can practice from a place of strength, from a true resource in the heart that enables us to move and speak and interact and see and understand with the eyes of wisdom, with maturity, with stability, with steadfastness, with compassion, with kindness, with contentment, with awakening, waking up. Now the world, when you leave the monastery and you you go on a long journey, and you have a lot to face, going back to see relatives, they don't understand about bald women and sheets. This is scary to them. They're going to freak out. Are they going to react? And you're going to react to their reaction. And it sets up a whole explosive dynamic, potentially. And the only refuge that we really have in the face of that is the same refuge that we have in the monastery. So staying in the monastery is not the answer, because all of us have to venture out into these dangerous patches. Because even in the monastery we can become very explosive and out of control. But outside, they're just conditions that we can pick up through our mental radar that we've developed. However weak or undeveloped the signal is, we just keep going back to it in the same way. Do a chant, sit every day, stay alone, or stay with people that understand what we're doing. And if we're with people that don't, like family members, we just try to bring up the most positive qualities we can. Compassion, kindness and don't say too much and don't say too little and try to be balanced and all those things and try to conserve a space so that you don't reveal things that will give vent to their fears and their opinions just keep things simple on a very simple level and not to try to convince them that you're right or they're they're not right or any of that. Don't become a teacher to them unless they ask. 
tell us about the Buddha. Yeah, you tell them all about the Buddha. It's such a wonderful story. He left the palace so that he could find out what was going on in the town. How do ordinary people live? Because what he was getting in the palace somehow didn't satisfy his mind, his heart. He began to see the emptiness of the entertainments and the luxury and the indulgences. How uninspiring. So when we go out in the world, there, there may be less to inspire us than read Dhamma, listen to Dhamma talks, stay close to spiritual friends, and keep your practice bright and shiny, polished. And do a lot of chanting, take refuge, take the precepts every day. Sit in front of a shrine or in a quiet place and just chant, Bhuttang Saranam. Gacchami. Over and over. Dhammang saranam gacchami. Sangam saranam gacchami. I go for refuge to the Buddha. Now, we know that the Buddha, historically, the, there was a Buddha. So which Buddha are we going to refuge for? The Buddha is here. It's a presence in the heart. We're connecting to it. You plug in. Instead of plugging in the computer, you plug in your heart to the heart of the Buddha's awakening, which is our own potential. It's not something out there or for someone else. It's for each one of us. Do you hear and see that within yourself? Can you say, I go for refuge to the Buddha and really enact that. Make that your activity. Let that be the deciding factor for the weather in the mind so that when we notice we're thinking in dark ways, gloomy ways, somber ways, we'd say, no, no, no. We start over. We reset. We reformat again and again and again. And we say, I go for refuge to awakening. I'm aware of this confusion and this darkness, and I light a match in the darkness. Even if we do that for a moment, the darkness is dispelled. It doesn't take much light to give us the way through the dark room and go out into the sunshine. The same it is in the heart. We just need one little step. You know how a mountain climber on a rock face, if you have one ledge, one bit of rock that you can get your fingernails on, you could save your life. Sometimes we feel, sometimes I feel like I'm climbing a cliff face and I have nowhere to hang on to to prevent myself from crashing down. But if I can just take refuge in the Buddha within me, then I take refuge in the Dhamma. I take refuge in the Sangha. I do it over and over, and before I know it, I'm safe. I've got the balance. I look around and it feels very unsteady, but I keep holding to that and not giving in to the 
old mental patterns and the, the old destruction of the goodness within myself. I don't listen to those innuendos. Ah, oh, you can't do this. I don't listen to the do something else, go somewhere else, be something, get something. This is a waste. We don't listen to those things. We don't believe in the self. I'm this, I'm that, you're this, you're that. We don't follow those pathways anymore. We come back to balancing the mind and listening to that inner space, that empty space within us that is already bright. It is luminous. It is light. It is the Buddha waking us up with the instructions. Pay attention. One step at a time. Gradually, working hard, trusting, realizing, seeing the way forward with that trust. Having compassion for the enormous effort that it takes, the pain of it, which is the price. It's painful to stop and see how we are and then to try to be our own doctor. We want somebody else to save us, but we have to do the work ourselves and it's worth doing. If we neglect it, then we are neglecting something that is more valuable than anything else that we could turn to. It's through repetition that the message begins to penetrate through. But that doesn't discourage us because we have to work with our own conditions. No matter what they are, we have to be patient. We talked about patience this morning, how to be patient with our suffering or, or with the child in us that is so unruly, uncontrollable. There's nothing to control here. What we have to do is use wisdom to direct ourselves. We have an intuitive wisdom or we wouldn't be here. If we didn't have enough wisdom to find this path, then how could we possibly walk it? But since we found it, we have enough wisdom to know this is so wonderful. This is the way to go. This is the way. There's no going. There's no doing. There's just the knowing. This is the way. And it starts with that one miracle that we can stop and breathe, be aware of the breath, and then realize that that which is aware of the breath is not the breath. And that which is aware of the currents of the mind that are erratic and unwholesome, we are aware that that is not the mind. That is not the awareness. The awareness and the stream of phenomena going through the mind are different. They're not the same. This is a saving aspect of our practice. It is so simple. Just noticing that means in the moment that we notice how angry we are, we see that the noticing of the anger is not angry. It's just knowing anger. 
So we have space from that boiling energy. We have space from it. It's a valuable moment. It's a valuable space. So we take that space and we develop it by continuing to be aware what is the mind's space filled with. How is it being fueled? How is that being generated? And we watch so mindfully and so carefully that we see, well, it takes a long time, but we start to see the emergence of the anger. And so, as soon as we see the emerging of anything unwholesome in the mind, we learn not to follow it because we know that we don't want to follow that which is unwholesome. Instead of that, we bring forth goodwill, kindness, care. The mind is naturally, by nature, full of light. It's bright, it's pure. We just have to understand it, to experience it directly. And the only way to directly experience the mind is to begin to see the difference between that which is occurring in the mind and our awareness of that which is occurring in the mind. To empty the mind to such a degree that the awareness of the mind is actually the mind seeing itself. When the mind is able to experience itself, then it is filled with that brightness. Do we want that? Oh yeah, we want it. So we keep putting in the causes and conditions for that to arise. We cultivate. We develop the culture of brightening and shining the mind, abandoning the hindrances and growing the enlightenment factors. It's so close you can't see it. So deep you cannot fathom it. So simple you can't believe it. So good you can't accept it. It's a process. As much as it might hurt, it's like you have to pull a tooth out that's rotten. It's so painful. But this practice will help us sit under the scrutiny of the mind's wisdom, of the wisdom eye, so that we can see how to extract those harmful bits and uproot them so that we can bask in the joy and the peace where this path leads. There was another quote here. Delusion is not something fixed within our minds that if eliminated will be replaced by enlightenment. Delusion is just that you don't know how to open a door. We're standing at the door and we can't open it. Then finally you figure out how to open the door. You just have to have the courage to walk in. That's it. It's just seeing that 
There's nothing there to keep us from going through the door except our own fear. Just try to find the way to open that door and once we have the courage to pull it open, we have to be courageous enough to walk through. That means abandoning a lot. But what we're walking through into is much more much more for us to gain than anything we could possibly give up. We have to give up everything to gain everything. But what we actually gain is nothing. And that's the freedom. Nothing belongs to us because there's no one to gain and there's no one who gets enlightened. We just have to understand the purity of the mind and keep working and moving from that empty space which is completely pure. But it has the quality of absolute purity. And we taste that. Sadhu,